Hello, and welcome back to the Baseball Trade Values Podcast. My name is Joshua Iverson, and I am the associate editor of BaseballTradeValues.com, joined, as always, by founder and owner John Bitzer. John, it's a it's a really fun time of year right now. There's spring training going on, obviously, but then the World Baseball Classic has just been a ton of fun. Uh, we've got March Madness going on, a couple games I've been watching there. It, just a fun time of year. How you doing? Yeah, it's great. Kids are out playing baseball again, and I have to say I'm kind of enjoying the World Baseball Classic, too, more than I thought I would. So I've become a believer. Yeah, it's a ton of fun. I actually got to go see the USA uh, Team Canada game last Monday since that first round over at Chase Field was right in my backyard. Oh, yeah. And uh, I I didn't go to the USA-Mexico game where Mexico kicked USA's behind, uh, but I heard that the energy was just insane at that one, which I can... Totally get there's there's yeah. a lot of representation for Mexico out here in this part of the country, mm-hmm. um, but even the USA Canada game was just a lot of fun. You could tell everybody at that game was really into it. The Team USA put up a nine spot in the first inning. Trout mm-hmm. homered, and that place yeah. just got rocking. And it, just a great time. I'm, I'm glad everybody seems to really be getting into this. Aside from a few uh, a few cronies, uh, we'll, we'll talk about uh, <laughs> we'll talk about maybe some of the some of the negatives uh, a little bit later in the episode, but. Uh, yeah, just just a fun time of year. I'm really enjoying it. Same. All right. Well, we don't have a ton of news to get to since we are kind of in this dead zone still. Uh, but we do have a few odds and ends. Uh, let's start out with the newest news, <laughs> the late breaking news just before we hit record. Uh, the Rockies are signing Jerickson Profar. It'll be a one-year deal, $7.75 million guaranteed. Yes. <laughs> Um, up to 8.75 million total. I actually haven't seen if there's been a follow-up to that with any sort of option or anything like that. Um, mm-hmm. but it's, I don't know. It's, it's hard to really comment on this, isn't it? Like, is there yeah. a more boring player and team fit? I guess, I guess the upside is that, Hey, Jerickson Profar gets to go hit at Coors. There you go. Um, so just crunching the numbers, we have his fair value at 9.5 million and he's guaranteed 7.75 with incentives. So pretty close, maybe a little bit of a bargain since he didn't seem to have too many takers this time of year. So, um, but you know, seems reasonable. Yeah. And I don't know. It's, it's a, it's a body for the Rockies. Um, typically with a team in their position, you'd say, oh, if, if he has a strong first half, they can trade him at the deadline. But they've proven that they don't really believe in that. <laughs> They're not a team to count on actually making that decision halfway through the season. I think they actually think they're yeah. somewhat competitive this year and that this helps them in that regard. Also a bit of a weird fit since Profar has been primarily a left fielder and that's where Chris Bryant plays. So yeah. Um, I did notice MLBTR did a piece on the Rockies before this news came out about how they're struggling with outfielders because they've got injuries there. Grishik is out a bit. Um, CJ Crone's out a bit. They've got, you know, Brendan Rodgers. So they're moving people around. So I'm sure they can figure it out. Yeah. I mean, again, in theory, this is where a smart baseball team would move Bryant back to third base or at least yeah. some sort of a, I mean, I mean, I'm also no, I'm fully aware that Bryant missed a lot of time last year with injury. And so, they could very easily split time out there in left field with Bryant also DHing a good amount. Uh, but you would also expect him to play some third base because that's maybe where his bat is most valuable and maybe where he's a better defender. But no, I don't think they're too interested in that <laughs> from, from what I've read uh, from all the quotes from, from their higher ups. Um, it seems like they're just pretty committed to Bryant in left field, which is a bit odd. I thought the versatility was like, part of a yeah. one of his more attractive traits but yeah maybe not not, not so much anymore and maybe they're thinking uh profile in right field uh i don't know i don't know if he's played much right field but maybe yeah well good luck Dirksen. You're, you're a nice guy you'll, you'll bring some good vibes to that team at least yeah he's a happy happy guy yeah all right um next bit of news just a couple very minor transactions were completed uh, the Mark Mathias trade, I believe that was from earlier this offseason of Mark Mathias to the Pirates. Um, it was com- it was an- originally for a player to be named later. That was completed with, is that Ricky DeVito? Um, this is... Da, da, I da, think da. so. Oh, yeah. That sounds right to me. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Check MLB He's been trade traded rumors. a couple of times. Yeah. Yep, Ricky DeVito, right-handed pitcher. Yeah. Um we have him at one. We had Mark Mathias at point two in a 
median mm-hmm. trade value. So bit of a gap there, but within our usual margin yeah. of error. And so accepted. Yep. And then along those same lines, the Brewers, uh, when they acquired Javi Guerra, uh, they have now completed that trade. And I'm frantically typing in to try and find <laughs> the first name. Victor Castaneda <laughs> yeah. uh, goes to the Rays. Uh, that's another right-handed pitcher. And we have him at point two, Javi Guerra at zero. So once again, uh, accepted. Probably not a whole lot to break down here, is there, John? Uh, no, Castaneda was Rule Five eligible, was not picked, so you got to figure there's not much value there. So it makes sense. Yep, just closing the book on a couple fringe trades. Mm-hmm. Okay, uh, let's move on to. Actually, I'm going I'm to reorder things a little bit on the fly. Call an audible. Uh, Jose Iglesias and Yuli Gurriel both signed with the Marlins on minor league deals. Uh, this is very much along the lines of Profar. Of just we're, we're late in the off season. Slim pickings mm-hmm. for these guys. They're just taking what they can get. Um, it's not incredibly surprising with Gurriel. Obviously, he was a pretty quality hitter during his good years, and and, and even in 2021, I think he won the batting title. But mm. he just collapsed in 2022. He's well into his late 30s. He very little defensive value. I know he's a decent first baseman, but that only does so much for you. Mm-hmm. So just wasn't a whole lot there for him to get a, a significant deal. The only terms we ever heard really discussed were the Marlins offering him a $2 million major league deal. But that was a couple months ago before they made some of their other moves and, and that spot, that guaranteed spot was lost. And yeah. so we heard that. We heard a little bit of rumblings about him going back to the Astros, but they can't really guarantee him much playing time since they have a Abreu at first base now and they have a couple younger infielders they'd like to give a shot as at, at the utility role who probably have some more defensive versatility than Gurriel. Um, and then the Twins we heard a little bit about, but it seems like they went with Donovan Solano for that spot instead. Mm-hmm. So there really wasn't a clean fit for Gurriel to grab a major league spot. Uh, Iglesias, on the other hand, we talked about him last episode about how weird it is that he's just such a consistent contributor, even if it's not necessarily a star level contributor. But he's just such a consistent, you know, quality player to have on your roster, but he just keeps getting these minor league deals. So I think, uh, you know, he's not going to light the world on fire, but I think it's a, it's not a bad pickup for the Marlins on that one. Yeah. Now remember they're both minor league deals. So neither one is guaranteed a spot, but I do like the chances of Iglesias making the team a little bit better than, than Gurriel only because, you know, they've got this weird defensive thing going on where Joey Wendell was slated to play short, which is weird to me. And everybody's out of position. Arise is at second, and uh, Segura is at third. And, like, uh, just just put Iglesias at short and move Wendell around. Figure it out. Um, but I think that's the most promising path, I think, whereas Guriel just may be done. And, you know, there's probably some fan interest there because it's from Cuba, which is not far from Miami. So, um, but, you know, good luck to him. Yeah, and, you know, it's a team that needs offense and and maybe he puts it back together and they can carve out some sort of a DH role for him with some injuries and and, and all that. Yeah. Um, So, I mean, depth is depth. It's not not bad to have. It's probably better than whatever option they previously had as their next guy up from AAA. But, yeah, I'm with you there. Not as clear of a fit. Um, Mm -hmm. And also to be... To be clear on Iglesias, he is getting old. <laughs> he is 33 now, and uh, at least by Statcast, his defense is starting to decline. Um, I, I still think he's probably a guy you're more comfortable with at shortstop than Joey Wendell. Maybe yeah. that's maybe that's just because we haven't seen Joey Wendell at shortstop for an expen- <laughs> extended period of time. Uh, Joey Wendell might be like just as old. I'm pulling him up. Yeah, he's 32, so not not a whole mm-hmm. lot better there. I know he's he was more favored by outs above average last year uh, than Iglesias was, but that was playing second and third base, not shortstop. Right. So we shall see how that experiment goes. It's uh it's gonna be fun out there in Miami. At least it seems <laughs> like uh seems like Luis Arias is now a power hitter, so that could be a, a big development for them. Yeah. Uh, All right. But yeah. That's the Marlins. Fun couple moves. Um, next up, we have a couple extensions of, of younger players to talk about, and these are really interesting to me. Um, so the first one is, it feels like every offseason, every every deadline, every deal that we see is some sort of a record-breaking extension. Doesn't it feel like that? Like, everything, in some every level. Deal, yeah. And I mean, part of that's inflation, right? But yeah, it's right. also 
I think we're more and more seeing teams committing dollars to less and less proven players, uh, just kind of taking that gamble and that calculated risk, I guess you would, mm-hmm. you would call it. Mm-hmm. Uh, the latest example of that is the D-backs with Corbin Carroll. So Carroll was one of the very top prospects in baseball. He debuted late last season, uh, played less than a month, but really impressed during his time there. And, and he just gets rave re- reviews from scouts about his tools and about his makeup. I mean, it just seems like he is a baseball guy. <laughs> and the D-backs need that kind of cornerstone guy. You know, they have Ketel Marte locked up there, but he's not aging the best (laughs) i'll I'll put it kindly he's getting banged up his he didn't perform as well last year uh but they don't really have that guy to build around locked in franchise player like they did with goldschmidt for the longest time Uh, now they have that in corbin carroll it's an eight-year extension 111 million dollar guarantee so this is record setting for the amount of money given to a player with that little service time uh it covers all of his club control years two free agent years um, and then there is an option tacked on to the end of the deal, a $28 million club option that would buy out a third free agent year. Um, even if they pick up that option, though, he would hit free agency at age 31. So it's not it's not a full career extension or anything like that, uh, but it is very notable. It, it's, it's his entire years of team control being bought out, uh, plus a few free agent years. And it's well more than the $70 million that the Braves gave to Michael Harris, who was in a similar spot, maybe not quite as highly regarded of a prospect, but much more of a major league track record at the time. So it's an interesting comparison between these two. Um, yeah. Living out here in Arizona, everybody's thrilled about this. Good. Every every D-backs fan I've talked to about this just is so happy with it, so glad that they get to watch this guy play baseball every day. I think he really is kind of the new face of the team, and I think the D-backs are thinking that same way as well. Um Looking at the values on this, um, previously we had Corbin Carroll's value at 83.8, and with this deal it goes down to 73.7. So not a not a significant change at all since we're talking about so many years. That's just a, a million or two in surplus per year. Yep. Uh, but do you want to get into what yeah. goes into that and and how that broke down? Yeah. So um, you know, typically when a player is this far away from the free agency. I mean, you couldn't get much farther away than this. Um, the team has all the leverage. So what the team wants is is to bake in that sort of safety uh, moat, if you will. And so the surplus value that they had before they locked it in, you know, we're finding more and more that that's pretty much for these types of players. That's kind of like the baseline. Um, if you can keep that surf- surplus value intact, uh, but make the but get cost certainty out of it and maybe extend a, a little bit into the free agent years as they did here. That's a win for the team and for the win and for from the player's side. Um, you know he gets paid earlier, obviously, so he can invest that money and watch it grow while he's playing. And so I think there's more to it than just the numbers themselves, but the future sort of value of those numbers on the player's side. So that's a win as well. Um, the fact that they that uh, his agents carved out a little bit more uh, for him uh, based on the fact that their surplus value went down about 10 million is a win for them as well. So everybody's happy. You can't, you can't beat it. I think it's good. And there's not much, I mean, yeah. uh, If he, you know, God forbid he breaks a leg or something, it's never the same again. Yes. The the backs would have to eat that, but you know, it's a calculated risk, but they've got all that surplus kind of already sort of as a safety net. So I think they're going to be okay. Yeah, I think it's an interesting distinction to draw. Obviously, we can talk about extensions within the framework of the model and whether they seem fair or not, but it is kind of measuring two different things, right? Where the model is is saying, is this a fair value contract to be taking on in a trade? Right. Versus when they're actually negotiating this extension, there's a lot of intangibles that we can't necessarily put that dollar value on. Like, Like you were saying that, the player gets that early financial security and can start investing early and knows Mm -hmm. that they have this much money coming to them over this next period of time. And that's Mm -hmm. just valuable that, that knowledge and that comfort that comes with that. And then for the team's perspective, there's a little bit less of it, but they also have a level of cost certainty and roster certainty built into it. Mm -hmm. I think to a lesser extent, a lesser value to them than it is to the player, which I think is why we typically see, teams get bargains on these deals because 
that intangible um that that intangible value to the player outweighs the intangibles to the team in that and so in exchange for that security they give up a little bit of future potential earnings which is kind of the framework of all these deals and why they work for both sides that's right um but but i think it is a it is a distinction to draw that yes you want to you want it to be a fair number at the end of the day and you want you know four years down the line if things don't go your way you want to be able to trade that contract that's that's part of it (laughs) uh but um there are those intangibles to consider in these deals as well. And, and we are well aware of them. <laughs> yeah. The other thing I'll point out, he's still very young. And so the other sort of benefit, and you touched on this is that, you know, he'll turn, you know, whether they pick up the option or not, he'll be either 30 or 31. And so, you know, if his career goes as everyone hopes it will, you know, he's a star at age 30, uh, even age 31, he can get another payday. He's still young enough that even giving up nine years now still sets him up later. So, you know, it's a cake and have you eat it too kind of thing for Corbin Carroll. Yeah, you're right. It sets him up very nicely. Okay, and then another youngster, a former highly regarded prospect, also got a pretty lengthy extension. This one may be a little bit more surprising. We didn't really hear any buzz leading up to it, and it just kind of happened. Uh, the Nationals signed Kybert Ruiz to an eight-year deal. Uh, it's guaranteeing $50 million with two club options. It uh, looks like those are... Have they been reported? Yeah, uh... they're on the high side. Okay. Well, uh, I'll, I I'll can't find that number. Yeah. Uh, regardless, this is also a pretty significant guarantee for a player with Kybert Ruiz's track record and, and service time. It's... He hasn't really broke himself out onto the scene yet. I mean, he's been a decent major league player in his couple seasons with the Nationals. Uh, The glove hasn't quite been stellar behind the plate for him, and he was a much stronger offensive contributor than he has been in the majors so far. But we do know that catchers tend to age a little bit, uh, not age a little bit slower. They tend to hit their peak a little bit later than other players might, um, just because they're focused so much defensively on catching as they come up through the farm that they might not have as much time to focus on their bat and they might be learning more at the big league level with it. So, I mean, I don't think it's a poor investment by any means. I think they really like this guy. They clearly liked him enough to have him as the centerpiece in that big Max Scherzer, Trey Turner blockbuster. So yeah, let's keep him around. Let's keep working on him, keep developing him and turn him into one of the better catchers in the league. And I I think that's their plan. I don't know if the nationals necessarily have the development uh, capabilities to make that plan a reality, uh, but it's at least sound thinking from the gate here, I think. Yeah, so, um, you know, he hasn't, like, established himself as a star or anything yet, but he's still very young. He's just coming into his age 24 season, as you as you mentioned. Uh, catchers tend to slide a little bit later on the spectrum in terms of its their development, but he's pretty close, but I think once he's sort of gotten the defense down, you might see him start to hit a little bit more, but nonetheless, the numbers aren't quite there yet, so that's why this one is more modest, um, but it does kind of bake in the same amount of roughly the same amount of surplus value as before for the same reasons we just talked about with Corbin Carroll, so the, the team gets that sort of safety net moat and, and the player gets paid earlier. Uh, the two option years are valued at uh, 12 million and 14 million, um, which would be his age 32 and age 33 seasons. If I mean those are far away, and after many many years of catching, he gets to that. Um, you know, those are reasonable numbers, but at the moment, the model says those two are underwater, would not be picked up. So we don't we're not counting those two yet. If he breaks out, that may change. Um, but basically, he had 50-ish million in surplus value before this deal, and he has 50-ish million now. <laughs> so again. Similar with Corbin Carroll, um, they they kind of bake that in. Yeah, I think there's an interesting comparison between the two as well in what their... I don't want to say like downside or worst case scenario, because obviously their worst case scenario is, whoops, they tripped and fell down the stairs and tore their ACL, and now they're mm-hmm. never the same person. Or maybe uh, they jumped that... up and down celebrating and tore their, yeah. <laughs> their patella. Okay, never mind. Uh. <laughs> <laughs> um, obviously not not trying to speak either of those things into existence for either of these guys. But the more realistic worst case scenario of the like, you know, what's their 20th, 25th percentile outcome as a baseball player? Um, I feel like with Carroll, you know, you might be looking at someone in that Andrew Benintendi vein as kind of his his lower upside comp of 
maybe not 2022 Andrew Benintendi because he was much more productive, but that kind of middling, like mm-hmm. two-ish war, like some contact, a little power, mm-hmm. but not really enough of anything to to be a massive contributor. And there's there's obviously tons of upside above that, at which point, you know, the, the money, the guarantee is well worth it. But if that's what you get for this money, you're very disappointed, I think. Versus with the Nationals and with Kybert Ruiz, I think as a catcher, there's just such a higher floor already built in where if he's even, you know, capable with the glove and capable with the bat, you know, if he never grows beyond his 2022, that's at least a player that's worth keeping on your roster. And maybe he's a little overpaid, but that's a solid timeshare at catcher that you have at the very least, if not, you know, a lower end starter there. So I, I think the... I think it's it's partially the cost and it's very much reflected in the cost, but the floor is a little bit, I, I don't want to say Ruiz's floor is higher. I, I think compared to his guaranteed salary over the course of the deal, um, it's a more favorable, more favorable comparison, I guess, between the floor and the money. Yeah. And from the team's perspective, you see a lot more of this happening where they're locking up the really young players, you know, Carroll's 22, Keeper Ruiz, I think is 24. Um, which means they're buying, they're looking ahead, they're buying the peak years of their 20s. And that's that's the, a good investment from the team standpoint. You know, years ago, they were paying them retail for their 30s decline years. That's changed a little bit, but still kind of largely a truism that you don't want to pay for the decline years. You want to pay for the, the you know, the upslope, not the downslope, right? So that's what they're looking at. I think what's interesting with this from Ruiz's perspective is I think there, obviously there's there's so many outcomes to kind of consider here, but since he is a little on the older side, and since yeah, it's an eight year deal and it has two club options, and and those those club options, like you mentioned, yeah, they do get a little bit more pricey at the end there. So I think if he if he ends up you know hitting his ceiling, being a star caliber catcher, um. I think he's still going to get plenty of money from this deal with those club options, but he's also going to be hitting the market again at age 34. And so this is kind of his deal, it seems like. And I think that's interesting. I think it's yeah. it's a different calculus than with Carroll, where we mentioned that he'll be a free agent at 31. And so if he's the type of player people expect him to be, or even just a fraction of that type of player, he's got another significant payday in him. Yeah. Uh, I don't think Ruiz necessarily has that. I think like absolute best case, he's looking at a two or three year deal on the end of this. Yeah. And you know, catchers as important as they are. They don't make as much bank as some of the other position players. And that's pretty, I mean, Yasmani Grandal, I think got like 17, 18 million AAV at his peak, Real Muto in the low twenties, but it doesn't compare to like, you know, the big guys in who are getting, you know, well into the 30s in AAV, right? And they have shorter shelf lives, quick catchers do, and I think the teams know that, and so they're you're either spreading out the risk, uh, in the case of Ruiz with multiple years, in addition to kind of pay them, paying them less, because, you know, they wear out quicker, is the reality. Yeah, but on the flip side of that, they wear out quicker, they're more likely to have one of those large injuries like we we suggested whether yeah. that's a concussion or, or knees or back or anything like that so it's even more valuable for guys like ruiz guys like sean murphy mm-hmm. to take that money up front when they're offered it and, and maybe they are leaving a little bit on the table but they're also it's just so much security for them yeah well cool um speaking of injuries uh, we'll we'll get to the big one <laughs> the one we've been kind of referencing all episode here Edwin Diaz. Uh, so everybody, this is one of the bigger stories in baseball right now. Everybody knows about it. Everybody saw the celebration and, and the gentle hopping up and down and the relatively gentle hug from a teammate that led to a torn patellar tendon in his knee. Um, and so he's already undergone the surgery. Uh, general timeline seems like it's six to eight months. He seems really determined to come back in 2023. It seems like a long shot, but a possibility that he could be back end of the season uh, uh, playoffs. I don't know if he would be a hundred percent if he did come back at that time. There's, there's a lot of question marks and we'll only know as we learn more about his rehab and recovery over the next couple months. Um, but just a rough situation. Um, obviously great for him that he, right before this locked up his uh his big free agent contract 
uh, on the team side of things, they did have insurance on the deal. Um, I, I think I think it's the World Baseball Classic insurance, actually, not on the deal. Yeah, that's true. Um, so so they do not not that that Steve Cohen was hurting for money or anything like that, but <laughs> they will get his uh, his salary covered during this time as well. Um, just an unfortunate situation all around. Um, the, the Mets bullpen was already looking maybe not the deepest even even with Diaz in the fold and now with him out it's it's looking fairly thin so I wonder if this is a spot where we could see an early season uh trade since there's not a ton left on the free agent market there's Zach Britton is the popular fit but I don't think anybody outside of the people who have gone and seen his uh his showcases I don't think anybody really knows what he looks like at this point coming back from an injury so I don't know if you just slot him into the bullpen and he's prime Zach Britton uh, might be some growing pains there. Might be a little bit more rehab required to get him up to speed. So yeah, I wonder if this is a spot where they could trade for a Scott Barlow or something just to to lengthen things out and hold over because Diaz isn't the only injury they've had back there. They've had a couple guys get banged up. Yeah, so a lot of uh, a lot of activity on our trade boards. People thinking the same thing. Okay, well, who can we get? Um, there were even reports that the Mets reached out to the Reds for Edwin's younger brother, Alexis Diaz, who's uh, quite a good reliever in his own right and has a lot of years of control. So he'd be an expensive, uh, you know, uh, uh, get because uh, price tag would be high. But it's it's. But here's the other thing: the Mets have a couple of guys who look like they're blocked with Vientos. Where is he going to play? He's kind of a first baseman, you know. Um, so he's blocked there. Um, you know, and Brett Beatty may get the job, may not. He might be blocked by Escobar. We'll see. So they've got some chips, you know, that they could trade if they needed to get like a, a, a highly valued reliever, or they could spend a little bit less. Barlow is high, more highly paid and has less control. So, uh, but he's certainly somebody that I think they would look into. The Royals have said they may not be done. So that possibility exists. So there's a few out there. Kyle Finnegan of the Nationals is another possibility. Uh, Daniel Bard of the Rockies. Well, maybe not because the Rockies are insane, but so, uh, but you know, there's a few different um, ways to go there that people are speculating about on our boards. And I think that's reasonable. Um, so I wouldn't be surprised. I'm not sure Britain is the answer just because if he was, I would have thought that he would have been signed by now. I think a lot of people think, okay, there's a lot of risk there. He may not be the same. Um, so, so he's like a guy you maybe take a flyer on, but not really count on. Um, the other thing I, I thought was interesting, I've referenced, uh, a journalist named Will Carroll uh, a few times in the past. He does a newsletter called under the knife and his beat is, is player injuries. Um, so when this one came up, he did a piece on like, what is the expected uh, return and what are the sort of outcomes like other, other pitchers who have had this before and the track record, unfortunately is not great. Um, like the best case scenario was Matt Strom had a similar injury um, and he, he came back reasonably okay. He just got signed to a little bit of an overpay deal, um, but it took him a while. Um, so I'm not sure. So in other words, we have to we have to sort of figure out what how long it's take it's going to take for Edwin Diaz to come back. That's that's questionable. But question number two is, is he going to be the same once he does come back? Is that leg going to be the same? Can he put the same weight on it? Can he pitch the same with his mechanics? Or does he need to be, you know, favoring it a little bit and adjusting as a result? We don't know. It's too, too early to tell. But based on history, um, you know, you can't expect him to be the perfect Edwin Diaz. So you have to bake in that probability going forward that he may not be quite the same, which is unfortunate. Yeah, obviously he's such a competitive guy and they're and such, a, such a good pitcher. <laughs> and, and his team is in... A very competitive division it's going to be a tight race it looks like between them and the braves and the phillies are pesky and, and the marlins won't quite go away and uh we don't need to talk about that fifth team in the division but <laughs> all of that aside and you know that, that that's all the incentive for him to try and rush back from this and get himself back into game shape and, and ready for the end of the season i'm no doctor but it seems like it might be best for him to just take take a seat and and focus on being good for the start of 2024 you know like you say like being closer to the same guy taking his time getting that strength back getting that comfortability back rather than rushing back into it and risking either re-injuring or just not being as 
as uh, valuable of a contributor when he does return. Again, I'm no doctor. This is this is very much a decision for Diaz, who knows his own body better than I do, and for the doctors who know the uh, the medicals of it better yeah. than I do. But just a just a completely unqualified opinion that I will share. <laughs> yeah, I found the uh, Will Carroll uh, paragraph I was looking for. So it's, he says it's more common in the NBA and in the NFL, and in both, it's one of the tougher injuries to come back to level from, with studies mixed with positive results around 60 to 70%. Um, in MLB, he said the two pitchers I could find were Garrett Richards and Matt Strom. Um, Richards is kind of falling off, doesn't have a job anymore. Strom, as mentioned, uh, does. So it's mixed results. Not It's not like Tommy John where, like, yeah, most people come back, and after a year or two, they're fine. It's not like that. So well, there's some doubt here. And obviously that's a sample size of two, and Diaz is better than either of those guys. True. But I think there is there is valid reason for longer-term concern here. I think that that is correct. Yeah. Um, as far as the World Baseball Classic of it all, we haven't discussed this off-air or anything, but I, I'm going to assume we're in agreement here that uh, this is just a, a freak injury that could happen at any time. And yeah. the World Baseball Classic is a very good thing that a lot of people from a lot of different countries care about deeply and i think to uh to get all up in a tizzy about this injury and, and start saying things about oh it's just for an exhibition tournament i think that's pretty off base I, I i think i think we're on the same page on that right yeah i like i said earlier i've started to become a believer and i really think judging from the crowds and the excitement and even the players feel it uh, it's been good for the overall game of baseball, which was its intent. So you have to look at it in a larger sense. Injuries are going to happen in spring training or wherever. You know, you want to step, but it steps in a hole, whatever. You know, it's going to, uh, Tatis falls off a motorcycle. It's going to happen wherever, you know. Uh, so I don't think you can blame it on the World Baseball Classic for this one freak injury. I think it's just, it, you know, it's just bad luck, but I wouldn't blame it on that. Yeah, exactly. You can't wrap these guys in bubble wrap and and <laughs> keep them that way until they go out and pitch their inning and then wrap them back up you can't do that yeah. and obviously you want them to minimize any kind of reckless injuries you know things like the motorcycle and, mm -hmm. and madison bumgarner had a similar deal a handful of years back mm -hmm. um you, you want them to avoid those as much as possible but this wasn't that he wasn't you know getting hoisted on top of all of his teammates and whoops, they dropped him and he broke his wrist or something. That's not what it is. It wasn't, he went out partying afterwards that night and rode a mechanical bull and got flung <laughs> off of it. And no, right. it was none of that. He just, it was a, one of the tamer celebrations, at least that part of it <laughs> that I've yeah. ever seen. He, he was just hopping up and down a little bit. And then a team, a teammate like didn't even slam into him. It didn't look like they just kind of, fairly gently hugged and he just landed wrong and, and you know people are speculating you know maybe there was some prior damage that doesn't seem like the kind of thing that would just whoops you tweaked it the wrong way and now it's totally snapped but uh i once again i am unqualified to comment on that i am yeah. no doctor i don't know how that works but yeah it, i think there's there's a line between you know totally reckless like he's doing something stupid and and yeah of course he was gonna get hurt we should be upset with him for it and hey this was just a normal thing and i mean it's 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 even there's a little bit of irony to it being the mets just because <laughs> of all of the flack they got last year for that video of them practicing celebrating <laughs> winning the uh -huh. world series in spring uh -huh. training last year so even people who are saying like yeah well teams don't players don't celebrate like this in spring training well Diaz's team literally did last year, and you figure he, the player would be just as likely to get injured in that fake celebration as in this real one. And so it's, uh, yeah, it's it's ironic that it's the yeah. same team. Yeah. So you know he was worth three wins total by F four last year. So there's three wins now that you need to be need to replace. But you know as we've talked about in the past with relievers, it's not just about war. It's about leverage. It's about stuff. It's about the intangibles you get, that sense of, okay, Edwin Diaz is coming in. <laughs> we got this. And now they don't have that sense. Now they're going to patchwork it with, you know, the other guys. You know, maybe David Robertson still has some life in him at age 38 or whatever and maybe Adovino can hold the eights down you know or maybe they can sign a guy like maybe Britain comes back a show Walter you know in their history maybe some magic happens there um I'm 
I'm realistic about those things. I don't think they're going to replace Edwin Diaz in any of those ways. I think uh, it's probably unlikely that they're going to get like a good deal from another sort of available reliever unless they overpay for like a Scott Barlow. But they're, I don't think they're getting Alexis Diaz. I don't think they're getting Bednar because those guys still have two years of control. I think the most likely scenario is they, they go with what they have, more or less, and then wait for the deadline when others become available and they, and they take it from there. Yeah, I, I think maybe they jump a little bit before the deadline because this is the kind of thing where uh, I think reliever trades frequently happen in the months leading up to the deadline. And mm. if things are as rough as they look like they could be, uh, they might need to just do some in-season patchwork on it. Uh, mm. But I do agree generally that I don't think they're going to jump out and immediately make a move right now, just like we didn't see the Dodgers do with Lux, right? Yeah, right. They're, gonna see what they have and they're gonna see if they can play it out hold on to their chips as long as they can before they address that area um one other kind of addendum with this being edwin diaz is what a roller coaster this edwin (laughs) diaz jared kelnick trade continues to be Mm -hmm. right because obviously this is you know a freak accident well out of diaz's control well well out of anyone's control nobody was considering the possibility that Diaz would tear his ACL in the 2023 World Baseball Classic when they made that trade like eight years ago or whatever it was, six years ago. So that aside, um, Jared Kelnick is looking okay in spring training this year. Uh, Is it it possible that we see this start to swing in the other direction again? Because it, it, you know, the trade goes through and it's, oh my goodness, the Mets got fleeced. The Mariners got Jared Kelnick. He's a stud. They also got Justin Dunn. And I think there was another name in there involved as well. And they mm-hmm. got rid of Robinson Cano's contract. And mm-hmm. all it was was a reliever. How crazy is Brody Van Wagen and trading all of this for a reliever? And then it starts to shift the other way because Kelnick just couldn't put it together. And Diaz was, well, well first actually, Diaz struggled a lot in, in New York and made it look even worse. Right. And Cano was con- continuing to be Cano. And PED suspensions and getting yep. old and all that. Yep. But then Diaz turned into what he is now, just a dominant leading arm, and Kelnick was struggling, and so it was like, wow, the Mariners actually got fleeced. What a what a surprise. And now there's an opportunity here for it to start to go a little bit in the other <laughs> direction. And you know, there's a, there's a, there's an argument to be made that we shouldn't let it, that it should we should close the book on the Edwin Diaz side of things now that he's uh, technically reached free agency. And so, obviously, we can continue to evaluate Kelnick's career in, in terms of the trade, but, you know, they, were, they weren't they were trading necessarily for all of these additional years of Diaz. They were trading right. for the three or four that he had of control at the time. Right. right. So there's that argument. Uh, but it is interesting. I am. I'm going to be very... I was already interested in Jared Kelnick and what he would do this year, but now I'm going to be even more locked in and intrigued to see what happens here. And obviously, you know, the, the one kind of elephant in the room with this trade is the Robinson Cano money. And we mm-hmm. don't have any insight into how the Mariners did or didn't spend that savings. Was it just, you know, that was their Adam Fraser money <laughs> or mm-hmm. was it that gave them the financial flexibility to a couple of years down the road, sign Luis Castillo and Julio Rodriguez long-term. Yeah. Because those are two very different things you're talking about. Yeah. We'll we'll never know what the actual impact of that was. We will never know exactly because maybe even they know. Maybe it just goes into a pool and it's all absorbed somehow. But um, but it does clear – it did clear the books to some degree, which gave them some sense of financial flexibility, which in turn gave them a little bit more confidence – um to make a few other moves and that's the whole point that's why the money matters and it almost doesn't matter because you they probably don't even track the specifics of it they just know there's more in the pool to play with so and they make moves from there you know it could have been the winker trade and picking up suarez's deal it could have been julio's deal you you never know and it's not impossible to know but the, the fact that they did get better and they did use their money i think in a smarter way is is the larger point um, and yes, Kellenick is making uh, a little bit of noise in spring training. 
Um, I kind of feel like we have to wait till the season starts, though, because, you know, A, it's spring training. Everybody knows you can't really count on it. Pitchers are not ramped up yet. Pitchers are working out, you know, their grips and their their location. And like, yeah, okay, he's feasting on a little bit of that. But, you know, it's not – their intent is not necessarily to win or get somebody out. Their intent is to get their pitching down. So you don't know until it's real, basically. And so we'll hold off on that. Right. All, all you can say is it's better than it would be if he was yeah. hitting 130 and striking out every other at bat. True. Yeah. All right. A uh, handful of other injuries we can go through a little bit quicker. Uh, Jose Altuve, also a World Baseball Classic injury. He got hit in the hand by a Daniel Bard pitch uh, yesterday, actually Saturday, in the USA-Venezuela game. Side note, Daniel Bard had a rough time in that one. I hope he's okay. <laughs> um, but yeah, Altuve... Uh, the concern is that he has a broken thumb. I don't think that's been confirmed yet, at least not as of uh, when we started recording this morning. There wasn't an update on that. I think something like Salvador Perez said he heard it was broken, but mm-hmm. we're going to hear more from the Astros officially today. Um, very unfortunate for sure, but at least it is just a, just a broken thumb, right? Those, those don't tend to have the longest recovery time. I, I mean, he's going to be a few weeks, maybe a month or two, but... Uh, I don't think this is a significantly long-term injury. I, I could be wrong. It could be intensive. We don't well, we don't know anything about it yet. We don't, and he's getting a little bit older. And I know I'm I'm the old person here, so I can tell you when you get older, it's harder. The, the timeline is a little longer. Um, but yeah, it's a thumb injury. Hopefully, that's a normal sort of thing he comes back from. But just looking at roster resource, it's not like they have like any depth there i mean they're projecting mauricio dubon as the starting second baseman in the interim here which you know okay fine (laughs) you know but he's not really a proven major leaguer really um he's spent a lot of time in center field yes he came up as a second baseman so maybe and even after that you know uh they don't really have much so they might need to make a depth a depth move there you know they've got Dixon Machado as a non-ruster in that I, you know, like there's not much to go on here. And even if it's only a month, you still think, well, you know, they're going to be in a, a little bit of a fight for the AOS. So they may want to maximize those wins a little bit more while they can. So I don't know. They, I'm not saying they're going to go out and trade for Jonathan Scope or whoever, but there's a lot of activity on our boards right now with like, who can the Astros get to fill that hole? Yeah. I mean, David Hensley is there too. He's a little bit interesting. He hit a little bit for them down the stretch, and they even used him in some bigger, like pinch hitting spots mm-hmm. in the playoffs last mm-hmm. year. So, I wonder if they want to give him a run at it. But yeah, at I, I wonder. Base, if... <laughs> He's listed on Fangraphs as a second baseman. Really? I don't, I don't know what. Uh, okay. Uh, I'd All have right. to look deeper into the prospect report to find out more about him. But okay. Yeah. Um. I, I think the other, you know, maybe they make a, a fringier trade. Uh, I don't because of the intangibles involved in it i don't think the a's are like lining up to and, and trying to push tony kemp out of town i thought about that he could fit the roster for there. Sure. yeah yeah i, and, I think the know. a's might value his clubhouse presence and whatever slight fan appeal he has over whatever small prospect they get in return for him but that's yeah. at least an option that is that could be on the table that makes a lot of sense. I mean, he's definitely a fan favorite in Oakland, although I have cynically answered, like, there's not that many fans right now who care. So, and they've all lost and all the other it, fan favorites. Yeah, so if anything, being one? a fan favorite makes him more likely to be traded, <laughs> yeah, right? Yeah, right. Uh, Gallo's humor there. Uh, but, uh, yeah, um, I think if they get, like, a little bit of an overpay, they would say yes. I mean, you know, it's there. He's, he's, you know, and they got to let Miss Diaz for some reason, too. So they could slide him over. Yeah, yeah. We we don't need to get too deep into the A's of it all because it is yeah. still just a sad team. But that's yeah. an option for, for the Astros, right. potentially. Right. Um, quickly jumping back to the Mets, Jose Quintana's out for a few months due to a rib surgery. That was unexpected and unfortunate, um, mm-hmm. but it's also just kind of part of the price of admission when you have a rotation as old as the Mets do. Uh, Kodai Senga was also banged up, but I think that was just like a blister, like a, mm-hmm. a, a minor hand thing. Um, but yeah, they they are going to have to weather their rotation getting banged up here. And they're obviously they weren't expecting it to come this soon and, and to be this lengthy of a time. Uh, they have a couple depth arms in David Peterson and Tyler McGill. You might have considered one or both of them for the bullpen to, to cover for Edwin Diaz. But now with mm-hmm. Quintana out, you need 
one or both of them in the rotation or at least stretched out in AAA. Um, yeah, the, the Mets are going to have to push through that this season between Verlander, Scherzer, Carrasco, Senga, and Quintana. Those guys are all over over 30, and yep. Scherzer and Verlander are a lot closer to 40 than 30. So yep. it's going to be yeah. something to watch all season, and it's it's unfortunate that it's happening this early. Yeah, they also have Joey Lucchese, who's coming back from Tommy John, I believe. I'm not sure when his, his projected uh, date is, um, but he might factor in somewhere this year but look i mean it's not good i think they need another depth starter you're right because it's a real drop off after verlander and scherzer in assuming senga and senga's still unproven let's let's remember so you can't just pencil him in as number three because he's never pitched in the major leagues before hopefully he's fine but you never know and carrasco he's always got health questions is your fourth so yeah i mean peterson is sort of your okay All right, we'll throw Peterson out there as fifth guy. That's that's kind of always been his role there. But there's not much left after that, so I do think they need another depth arm. Yeah, that, that's one where you could see them making some smaller move more yeah. in the short term of just, yeah. we need a guy to stash in AAA. We're, not, we're yeah. not looking for anybody to light the world on fire right now. We'll save that for the deadline but yeah so either a minor for, league deal or uh something to get somebody they can stash presumably a guy with options so they can stash him yeah yeah okay um nationals kate cavalli top prospect has to undergo tommy john surgery that's unfortunate <sighs> uh, so we'll we'll see him in a year a little bit yeah. more than a year um on the on the slightly brighter side in washington uh jackson rutledge another top prospect it's looking pretty good um, so yeah, he really his stock really dropped for a while there, and now it's starting to yeah. There's I saw a Baseball America piece saying, hey, he looks good, so maybe he'll climb back up again. Yeah, but in the in the interim, it looks like uh, Chad Cool's making the rotation. They're gonna have a. Mm. It's gonna be another fun year in Washington. Let's just say that. Yeah. Um, <laughs> Yankees had a trio of pitcher injuries. Carlos Rodon, Tommy Canely, and Lou Trevino are starting the season on the injured list. Um, it doesn't seem like anything too significant for any of them. Uh, mm-hmm. tr- like this isn't like season-ending stuff for any of them. I guess Trevino is probably the most concerning—a mild mm-hmm. elbow sprain out until May. Yeah, uh, Rodon is probably just you know a couple weeks into the year. I wouldn't be too concerned about it. Um, it is a forearm yeah. strain, which is you know concerning off the bat, but uh, and he's reportedly. Like- yeah <clears throat> he's had some yeah some iffy health before this yeah yeah but they're saying he's had an mri no ucl damage so mm-hmm. uh, let's hope that holds up as is um but yeah obviously not a great start for yankee season they do have a decent amount of pitching depth and you know they'll be moving clark schmidt into the rotation most mm-hmm. likely uh and, and he's interesting they have davy garcia who really hasn't put it together it's really getting yeah. to make or break time for him but at least it's an opportunity for him to show if he can do it um but yeah this is just kind of what happens in spring training pitchers get hurt yeah i mean to the yankees credit they did have a little bit of depth there so clark schmidt has been looking good so and he was used primarily as a reliever i still wonder if that's really his best usage longer term because his stuff plays up out of the bullpen but you know, he came up as a starter, so now's his chance. Yeah, and I think they're interested to see what he can do there. Yeah. Okay, that's all of the news for this week. Um, I do have an article we can briefly run through. Um, mm-hmm. I took a look ahead at the next big trade candidate. So uh, we, we got some significant trades this past off season, but nothing that, you know, really shook the baseball world, right? There was no equivalent to the Soto trade from last deadline. Or even, I don't know, that I, I, depending on what you think of Sean Murphy or Dalton Varsho or mm-hmm. Luis Arias from a from like a national perspective, you could probably argue there wasn't even anything as big as the Luis Castillo or Josh Hader trades, just because mm-hmm. those are bigger names, you know, multi, multi-time all-stars compared to these very good players with a lot of upside and years of team control, but not necessarily making the headlines the same way. Yeah. So we're in a bit of a quiet spell on that. Uh, but things are, I think, are about to ramp up as we get into this upcoming deadline and the following offseason. And there's a few big names, um, a, a couple of them that have already been mentioned a lot in rumors this offseason, and that's Shohei Otani and Brian Reynolds, where, I mean, theoretically, Reynolds could still be moved in the next week or two. I don't think it's 
that likely at this point. It seems yeah. more likely that he will be a deadline move, um, if not holding until next offseason. But he's he's one of the big ones we've heard a lot about. Otani is just going to be the primary focus of the deadline if the Angels are out of it at all. So get ready for that. Um, but then beyond those guys, there's a lot of interesting names to talk about. Uh, there's there's the Brewers trio of starting pitching. Yeah, I really would have my eye on those because yeah. if they're out of it, that's where the action is. Yeah, it's a very Guardians-esque position <laughs> where the Guardians are just constantly a revolving door of starting pitching mm-hmm. because they're just so good at developing new young arms and they're always pushing out their big talented starters before they hit free agency. And, you know, it's gone very well for the guardians. They haven't really been burned on many of those trades. A lot of the guys, they trade them out of town and they either take a step back or get injured or or something along those lines. And the next man up in Cleveland just slots right in and performs just as well, if not better. Yeah. Um, I don't think the brewers quite have that development pipeline that the guardians do, which I think speaks to why they still have hung on to their three top starters, Corbin Burns, Brandon Woodruff, and Freddie Peralta. Um, they're, they're basically, <laughs> those three guys are really just keeping the Brewers competitive on their own. There isn't a whole lot else on that team. There's a couple names here and there, but those yeah. three are the center of that team. Yeah. Um, but like you said, if, if they are on the bubble or not in contention at all this this upcoming trade deadline we could really start to hear them considering these guys so yeah and considering sorry go ahead ahead. i was was gonna say the the dynamics of supply and demand um when when if you get a lot of contenders and it depends on the 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 ratio of buyers to sellers obviously but if you get a lot of buyers and a whole not a whole lot of sellers with two really great frontline starters and burns and woodruff in particular um yeah they're going to gonna be, I could smell some overpays happening there. Right, exactly. And Burns and Woodruff each have two years of team control remaining right now. So mm-hmm. at the deadline, they'd have the rest of this year plus next year or next offseason, they'd just be rentals. Uh, Peralta has uh, four years right now because he has some, he's mm-hmm. on a very affordable contract. And so there's, there's three really interesting options here with that. There's Burns, who is probably the best of the three. You know, he's the 2021 Cy Young winner, took a minor step back last year, but still just a very, very good starting pitcher. Um, but he's only got those two years of control. He, he would just be a shorter term addition. And obviously there's been some some conflict between Burns and the front office in regards to his yeah. arbitration hearing this past year. Yeah. On kind of the other end of it, there's Freddie Peralta, where he's very talented. Uh doesn't quite have the track record of Burns. He hasn't, he's had some health issues, trouble staying on the field, but he's younger and more affordable over a longer period of time. So he's potentially a more of a building block that you could acquire. Mm -hmm. And then between them as kind of the happy medium is Brandon Woodruff, where he's maybe not as good as Burns, but you know, he's, he's maybe more consistent and he might be a little bit more affordable for a team to try and lock up after they trade for him. But that also might make him more attractive for the Brewers to keep. Maybe he is just a more um, attractive option for them to try and lock up long-term than Burns. It might be more realistic for them to be able to do that with Woodruff. So three very interesting options there. Uh, do you want to add anything on those three before I move down the list? No, it's all going to depend, obviously, if the Brewers are in contention. And I think that's kind of an unbalanced team. I mean, they've got these three excellent pitchers and then it, it's really iffy after that Yelich has really fallen off Castajura is not so much what they thought he was going to be you know Urias is okay but he's not a star you know Adamas okay fine you know but there's not like a whole lot of offense going on there so it's it's kind of an unbalanced team and I could see the likelihood of these guys being moving even higher yeah I also did want to mention the kind of competitive spot that they're in in their window where they have some really interesting prospects that are probably a year or two away from making a big impact uh they have garrett mitchell joey weimer and sal frelick in the outfield who are all Mm -hmm. you know pretty much mlb ready they're going to be starting to get their first extended looks in the big leagues this season it seems like Uh, bryce terang is going to take over at second base for colton wong i know they really like him and then one of the best prospects in the game, Jackson Chorio, is a couple years away, uh, yeah. also an outfielder. So yep. trading a guy like Burns or Woodruff in favor of like kind of a one or two year reset and adding a couple other talented hitters or pitching prospects to join that group 
I think could make a lot of sense while choosing to, you know, hang on to the other two of the three or, or one of the three um, to, yeah. to be kind of the front of that rotation for the next good Brewers team. I think, I think it makes a lot of sense given where they are. Yeah, agreed. All right. Uh, speaking of the Guardians, uh, Shane Bieber I have on this list as well because he is getting to that time in his, in his team control years. He's still very, very good even though he lost a few ticks on his flat on his fastball these last couple seasons. And then that might be cause for concern. He's been a little bit banged up, but he, in, in general, he's been fairly durable. And to this point, Bieber has been kind of the exception. You know, there's been a little bit of a noise here and there of teams being interested in him. Um, but he's never been moved. Obviously he's, he's always been the guy who stays while everyone else in the rotation around him gets traded out of town. I wonder if we're starting to get to the end of the line on that. Obviously, yeah. the Guardians don't have a lot of money locked up, so they could choose to to extend Bieber like they did with Jose Ramirez. But I think with the velo drop, I think this this is a guy who they would rather trade too soon than, than hang on and, and trade him too late or, or miss their opportunity to do so entirely. Yeah, and to their credit, the Cleveland front office is excellent, and they do see things that way. They subscribe to that philosophy it's better to trade you know too soon than too late but having said that they won the al central last year and they're this is their number one starter so i i suspect that they want to contend again this year so they're going to see if they contend obviously you're talking about a trade deadline possible piece here so the whole key is my point is very simply if they're out of it yeah he's probably gonna get moved if they're not no yeah i i think that's pretty simple way to put it (laughs) yeah um Moving on to, we already mentioned these two, so we don't have to spend too long on them. David Bednar and Alexis Diaz. Um, Bednar is 28 right now, and currently he has four years of control. So at the deadline, that would be a little bit more than three remaining. Alexis Diaz is 26 right now and has five years of control. Uh, But otherwise, they're fairly similar as far as their value goes. They're each in the 20-ish range. Uh, At least they they will be in the 20-ish range at the deadline if, Mm -hmm. if we project them out. I guess I should have mentioned that up front, uh, included in this article, which I'll link in the show notes. Uh, we've kind of projected out what the, their trade values might look like at the deadline and at the offseason. Obviously, it's just an estimate since we don't know how they're going to perform this year, and that will drastically change these values. But uh, if they perform as projected, this is what yeah. things will look like at the deadline and at next offseason, just to mm-hmm. give an idea for... How much value could be lost if these teams hang on too long? Uh, for these guys, it's not a whole lot just because they are relievers. Uh, but Alexis Diaz in particular is interesting because he has five full years of control and really only has one season as a like dominant late inning arm. If the Reds hang on to him and he's just really good all of this year, he could actually tick up a little bit because he has, you know, the lengthier track record of success. And now he's, he's not just a live arm who had a good year. He's mm-hmm. Alexis Diaz, a reliable late inning reliever. So that's an interesting proposition for the Reds and, and a reason they might hang on to him, even though they obviously aren't competitive and don't need a late inning arm. Mm-hmm. Uh, then there's this group of all-star middle infielders, Brandon Lau, who I got a little bit of pushback on in the comments from a Rays fan, uh, Andres Jimenez, who, again, is in that kind of Cleveland argument of if they're competitive, there's no way he's going anywhere. They kind of need him. But they do have a lot of middle infielders coming up through the system, and they're constantly churning. I don't think he's likely to get moved, but I thought he was at least worth mentioning. Uh, Willie Adamas in Milwaukee. Uh, he's, again, a different calculus than the starters are because they just don't have any offense, mm-hmm. and they don't really have a clear replacement for him at shortstop. But... If they were to trade Corbin Burns for a top shortstop prospect, then that makes Adamas a lot easier to move, right? And then last one I have here is Tim Anderson. Uh, the White Sox, it looks like their window is closing. And Anderson obviously is, you know, a big part of their team and their identity. But he's getting up there. He's getting toward the end of his contract. He only has two years remaining of team control. Um, he could be a lot more attractive to a team like the Dodgers right now when they don't with, with Gavin Lux out. Um, and, and they could choose to flip him and try and jumpstart their next rebuild. Uh, he's he's cer- certainly easier to move than a guy like Juan Moncada or Luis Robert from that team. Yeah, from a surplus value standpoint and mm-hmm. from a reliability uh, perspective as well, he's been very productive. So, yeah, there would be some interest there. Yeah. Do you have anything else on that group of four? Um, 
you know, Jimenez strikes me as kind of the the odd duck a little bit, but um, I see your logic because they do have a lot of middle infielders coming in. Into your point, if they're in it, he stays. If they're not, he's a possibility. Yeah. Yeah, and some of the Lao pushback. I mean, I I totally get it, but I was more looking at it from the perspective of the Rays have a lot of money committed, and we're not used to that, and so. Yeah. If they continue to act like the Rays always have, he makes sense as a guy to move to get some money off the books. Yeah. Uh, and then the last kind of grouping here, these are more wild cards, more long shots maybe. Uh, Randy Rosarena, also of the Rays, he's seemed like an odd fit for about a year or two now where it seems like the kind of the, the exact kind of guy they would sell high on where maybe mm-hmm. his name value is a little bit higher than his production on the field. Mm-hmm. But on the flip side, they don't have a whole lot of outfield depth right now. And he's an aggressive base runner who could benefit from some of the rules changes this year and, and become more valuable. Mm-hmm. Uh, Tyler Stevenson in Cincinnati, he's kind of the next guy that they would look to move, I would think. Uh, but he's previously been a catcher. He has been banged up a lot. And this season, I think the report was he's going to play like 50 to 60 games behind the plate. And so if that's what he is, if he is just a very, very part-time catcher, mainly a first-base DH... Uh, that's just going to be less attractive to an acquiring team. Mm-hmm. So that's that's kind of the hang-up there. And then Tariq Skubal, he's currently injured uh, for the Tigers, uh, but he is an interesting arm, and they're kind of in a weird dead zone of their competitive window. Um, so he theoretically would be the next Tiger on the way out, I think, but first he needs to get back and establish himself and uh, show that he's healthy and as effective as he was in 2022 before he got hurt. Yeah, from a performance standpoint, he was, you know, they had three young arms that they were counting on in their rotation, Mize, Manning, and Scubo, and he's the one that kind of performed the best, to the surprise of many, because he kind of had the least amount of pedigree coming up. And um, But yeah, so now, you know, if he's healthy and performing, performing again, I think the new um, head of baseball operations, Scott Harris, you know, would consider trading him because he needs more than just this. You know, he's got a lot of holes to fill. Um, and it would be hard to move Mize and Manning considering their recent history. So, so yeah, that makes sense. I, I think health is the, the main thing here, though. Yeah, definitely. And then I just want to circle back to the top of this article one more time to Shohei Otani because he's he's the most immediate name on this list. Um, where, like I said, if if the Angels are out of it, he is going to be all we hear about at the deadline, and he's going <laughs> yeah. to hold up a whole lot of other trades. Yeah. Uh, and they could even choose to keep him. I mean it would be silly of them because we actually have him projected for 47.1 million surplus value as a rental at the deadline, which is absurd. We're just talking about like unprecedented levels here as a rental. Yeah. Um, And imagine him though, in a playoffs uh, scenario with like he's starting game one and then he's DHing and then he's starting game, then, you know, in the next you know what I mean? You, you got a player there. That's why he's going to be so in demand if he is. Right. (laughs) And there's obviously the, like the ticket gate revenue type uh, type benefits that he brings that are just unlike any other player in baseball, where if your team is like, let's, let's say, let's take any theoretical team, you know, just a random team. Let's call them the Mets. Uh, Let's, (laughs) let's say the Mets are kind of scuffling when they get to the deadline, you know, they're in wildcard contention. Maybe they're four or five games behind the Braves and the bullpen has been a mess and they've had a pitcher get hurt. And then suddenly they trade Brett Beatty and Ronnie Mauricio and whoever else for Shohei Otani. Mm -hmm. How much does that change everything (laughs) for Mm -hmm. that team? Right. That's yeah. It's just an immediate shot in the arm on both pitching and offense and it just excites an entire fan base and gets them all just thrilled for the rest of the season. And it'd be an all in move, right? Yeah. They're, you know, they're, you know, paying a high price for basically two, three months of it. But, um, but boy, those could be some really powerful three months. Exactly. So I'm just, you know, I, I like double, triple checked this number when I, <laughs> yeah, when I was putting it in and it's, Wow, 47.1 for two months plus the playoffs. Um, And that's that's with him earning $10 million the rest of the way, right? He's on a $30 million contract this year. You cut out the first two-thirds of the season. That's $10 million the rest of the way, which is pretty considerable as a rental. Not not many rentals are making that much money. And even despite that, he's, he's worth this much, so... Yeah. We'll see. Should be fun. Yeah. This this like I said, this article will be linked. Uh, it has all the numbers in there uh, for 
what these guys will be worth at the deadline, what they might be worth at the offseason, as well as breakdowns further into detail than we get on this episode of each of these players and, and whether they might be a fit to be traded. Good stuff. Yeah. Um, one last note I wanted to mention very quick before we sign off. Um, we have done a pass. There was an MLB Trade Rumors article, very helpful, uh, listing the primary players on 40-man rosters who are out of options this year. Uh, we did take a pass through and make sure we had everybody updated properly. So if you saw any slight changes here and there, that's that's probably part of it. Um, but yeah, I think that's all for me this week. Do you have anything else? Yeah, just on that point. Yeah, we do keep track of that pretty closely. So it was just a double check. So, But I think we're pretty much on top of it. Um, but yeah, it's uh, it's going to be interesting to see what's going to happen with all these uh, post-injury moves. That's going to be the one I'm keeping an eye on. Right, and we're getting to the end of spring, the end of the World Baseball Classic. This is when we might see some guys get shuffled around. Teams are technically allowed to put players on the 60-day injured list now, mm -hmm. uh, but they are going to wait until closer to the season so they can really make those roster decisions when they have the most information possible. There, there might be a handful here and there because guys on minor league deals have opt-outs and need to be added to the 40-man, but... Aside from that, I think you're going to see teams wait until a little later in the spring. But that'll yeah. that'll be in the next week or two. Yep, exactly. Cool. Well, all right, that'll do it for this week. Thank you all so much for listening. If you have any comments or questions, feel free to shoot us an email at baseballtradevalues at gmail.com or find us on Twitter at baseballvalues. Also, be sure to subscribe to the podcast so you don't miss an episode. We'll be back in a couple weeks to break down more news and updates. So until then, stay safe and enjoy spring training, the World Baseball Classic, all of it. Thanks, John. Thanks, Josh.